0: I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women.
1: No one knew how to do this, no one had ever done it before. No one had ever taken, uh, made milk out of cashews and then made cheese out of it. That had not been done before.
0: As a longtime vegetarian, Miyoko Shinner knew that eating a plant-based vegan diet was better for the environment, but she was finding it nearly impossible to give up one food item, cheese. So over the years, she began tinkering with creating vegan cheeses made out of cashews, and in 2012, literally wrote the book on how to make vegan cheese. A couple of years later, after encouragement from others in the industry, she ended up launching a vegan cheese company, Miyoko's Creamery. At first, she imagined the company would remain small, but the market had other ideas, with demand for vegan cheese outpacing her ability to make it. Fast forward five years and Miyoko's cheese is sold in more than 12,000 stores nationwide, and the company is on track to hit over 100 million in sales in the coming years. On this episode, I sat down with Miyoko to talk playing to your strengths, the challenges that come with tons of demand for your product, and what to do when you realize your own leadership is getting in the way of your company's success. What I'd like to do is actually start before you founded
1: Miyoko's. Uh, where where were you in your life? Uh, at the time, I was working on my fifth book and kind of enjoying life, not running businesses. But I was having <laughs> a sort of cushy lifestyle as... Uh, my kids were in co- in high school at that point. I think maybe I had one in college, and um, I was just hanging out at home, writing my my next book, uh, doing CrossFit workouts every day, and uh, going running with the dogs. And it was a fairly leisurely life, something I hadn't experienced in many years. And and then this happened. And for context, what year was this? Um, well, I start I founded the company in 2014. Fantastic. So I finished my book in the spring of 2014 while launching the business. And all, all the, the five books that you wrote, what were all of those about? Uh, they were all vegan cookbooks, actually. From My first one was published in 1990, long time ago. Before it was cool. Before it was cool, before anyone knew how to pronounce vegan. <laughs> so in 2014, you're
0: taking the dogs for a walk. You have a leisurely, wonderful lifestyle. You're crossfitting. You're finishing your book
1: why on earth did you start a company? Well, I had written another book in 2012 called Artisan Vegan Cheese that had become a cult classic, and people just kept bugging me about starting another company, and I just kept resisting. I finally ran into an old uh, friend, competitor, former competitor of mine from another business I had back in the 1990s, and this person was Seth Tippet, who's the founder of Tofurky. Mm-hmm. And he had my cheese. And he said, you know, Miyoko, why don't you start this company? After all, I'll be your first investor. Um, and really, that, you know, just competitor to collaborator. Um, he became um, kind of my cheerleader and really gave me the incentive and the confidence to go out there and just do it one more time.
0: And it was just a chance encounter with the the gentleman from
1: Tofurkey that got you thinking about this? No, it wasn't exactly a chance encounter because, you know, I've I've been in the food business for a long time. So um, I went down to Expo West, which is this big trade show in Anaheim. And I don't remember how I got back in touch with him. Someone put me back in touch with him. We've been out of touch for a number of years. I think I sent him some cheese. And then um, he invited me to a party. He said, why don't you come down at Expo West again? And, uh, you know, you, you can come to the Tofurky party and, and bring a platter of cheese. And I think that's that I, I did that, not thinking that it would lead to anything. Just I would missed the industry. I just wanted to go down there and hang out. And, and that was kind of the beginning.
0: Uh, I, randomly, I had tofurkey for lunch today, uh, Tofurkey lunch oh, meat.
1: really? <laughs> I did. <That's> funny. <laughs> um, so, well, that was in 2013. Okay. That, that was spring of 2013. And that got my brain churning about how do I do this?
0: And so what? how did it go from an idea to an action? And kind of what made you actually decide, I'm, I'm really going to go for this?
1: I just, you know, I'm kind of one of these people that just jumps in with both feet. I mean, I'm in a lot of situations here at the company and other places where people just want to nail everything and get everything planned out before they do anything. And I, you know, I feel that's kind of constipating. Um, And what I do is I sort of get an idea and then I just start, my mind just starts churning about how do I do this? And then before the plan is even half-baked or when it is half-baked, I just, I just start. So that's kind of how it is. It was uh, finding a location. It was just, I just started talking to people and saying, hey, don't you want to invest? Don't you want to be part of this? And uh, it, just, it just all came together. And I think part of it is you know setting your mind to it and then just jumping in with both feet.
0: And where did the passion around vegan cheese come from for you?
1: Oh my God, it comes back, it goes all the way back to the 1980s when I first became a vegan and gave up cheese. And I was a huge. I could not imagine life without cheese. I mean, how do you live the good life without cheese? <laughs> I mean, how is life possible without cheese? That's what I thought when I was twenty. I took a sick. I took a, a year. I took a year off from college. Back then, we didn't know the term gap year, but I took a gap year. And um, my best friend and I spent six months going through Europe. And our our quest was really to visit every single cheesemonger in Europe and try every <laughs> kind of cheese we possibly could. I literally lived. I think we literally lived on baguettes and French bread. i mean, baguettes and cheese and and wine. I think that's all we ate. So I, you know, I was just a huge, huge cheese aficionado. And when I went vegan, um, partly because I had stomach aches all the time and thought maybe dairy had something to do with it, and it did because my stomach aches went away afterwards. Um, I had to figure out how do I make something that I really, 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 really like to have. I thought of cheese, you know, a lot of people think of cheese as something you throw on a burger or in a, sl- a slice in a sandwich, and that was okay. But for me, cheese was about fine dining. It was about that cheese platter, those untuous, delicious cheeses that you have with a glass of wine. For me, that was the epitome of the good life. You know, I always imagine one day I'm going to make enough money, I can buy some nice cognac and always have my, be- my favorite camembert. That was literally <laughs> what I thought about in college. Um... So I just really wanted to figure out how to replicate that. And for years, I struggled. And eventually, um, about, 10, 15, about 15 years ago, so I just started playing around with, with various substrates, starting out with soy yogurt and draining it and making yogurt cheeses, and then um, got into cashews and, and other substrates and just started experimenting. So it's, it's
0: 2014-ish. You're starting to poke around. If you found a space, a 600-foot space, you're, you have this idea that you're going to start a vegan cheese company. You have the, the founder of Tofurky is saying that he will back you on this. What were some of the very first things that you did to get the business up and running?
1: Uh, one of the first things was to actually f- find a space. And I, of course, I had no idea how I was going to scale the product from my kitchen um, the, initially we, we were just going to have a little cheese shop and kind of make things in small artist, artisanal batches. Um, so that was really, it was like, how do I do this? How do I find the equipment? And, you know, I've had a lot of food processing experience in the past on a smaller, on a small scale, like, like my first, uh, venture into this little prototype facility, so that was really it, is, is how do I scale it from my kitchen to making these, you know, making, let's say, 800 pounds a day, which was a very small amount, um, considering we can make 1,500 pounds an hour now in our new facility. But it was really how do I make, eight, you know, how do I make 800 pounds a day? That was the max that we could make in that facility, and and the trick was tr- trying to figure out how to do that. That was the hardest part. Um, the other part was really, was making sure that I had enough cash Um, And luckily that part came together rather quickly with people kind of offering me money to get this off the ground. So um, I didn't struggle with that like a lot of people. I was very lucky.
0: So let's talk about that the the fundraising piece of this. Uh, why do you think people were so excited about why you're what you were doing, and like why was this something that
1: came easy for you? And what advice do you have for folks around fundraising? Well, I think our, you have to have a good product that really tastes good, that is convincing in and of itself. So, so one thing we did was I, I, I met this guy who hung out at the Bohemian Club, which was this really you know it's kind of a a club of very wealthy. Men and apparently there was somebody there from Twitter. So I said, "Well, do you know the guy from Twitter? Can you get some cheese to Evan to Biz Stone because Biz Stone is a vegan?" And um, he said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out." And so somehow I managed to get cheese to Biz Stone, <laughs> and I actually got an email from Biz saying, "Wow, that was really great. Can you send some cheese to my my uh, partner Evan Williams?" So we did. I sent him some cheese, and. Uh, <clears throat> Evan Williams actually in, ended up investing. He was part of the seed round. Later on, he went on to found um, Obvious Ventures, a VC, and they've invested in every round since. So I think you know, having a compelling product is is one of the most important things. It doesn't matter if it's software or a food product, um, and and having a product that's going to provide a solution to a lot of the the world's problems. Um, why, how does vegan cheese answer the world's problems? Well, dairy is one of the leading contributors to climate change, which is something that we really have to think about because according to recent climatologist reports, we only have about 11, 12 years to start reversing it. Or we are really in, um, in the words of George Bush, deep doo-doo. Um, and literally, there are places that are in deep doo-doo. Let's take North Carolina, for example, where there's these massive pig farms and these huge manure lagoons that are um, creating huge climate issues as well as uh, impacting the health of all the, the local residents. So, um, you know, manure is a huge uh, uh, cause of methane, for example, cow farts as well. Um, and there's, there's a lot of issues involving the amount of land, water, et cetera, resources, et cetera. We did a life cycle analysis of our products and found that our products are 10 to 53 times lower in greenhouse gas emissions than their dairy counterparts. So this is a way that we can provide a solution for uh, some of the world's biggest problems. In fact, climate change may be the world's biggest problem because if we don't reverse climate change and save this planet, it really doesn't matter if the economy tanks or if you know, you're the healthiest person in the world because we won't have a, a place to live.
0: And uh, you are now officially
1: the first person ever on the show to quote George Bush. Uh, Well, thank you. I I feel honored. Or maybe I should be embarrassed.
0: (laughs) Um, So when you look back on those early days of kind of finding the space and getting the fundraising going and, you know, building the team and all that stuff, is there anything that you would have done differently in actually setting the company up?
1: Yeah. So what I would do differently is um, I started. I started my business the way that I would have in the 1980s or 90s, which was a very scrappy, organic way of doing things. And at this point, I believe, in, in at this point of the industry, we have to scale businesses really, really fast in order not only to meet consumer demand but to address the climate change issue that I spoke of earlier. Um, And so we did things in such a scrappy fashion. I don't think I hired the best people, uh, had the best marketing plan. I mean, there was no plan. It was, let's just make vegan cheese. Let me see how I can sell it. Let's see how it will do. And it did very well. You know, we launched as an e commerce business on a Friday afternoon. And by Monday morning, we had $50,000 in orders. So I'm not saying that it didn't go well, but um, I didn't really think about how to scale the company. I didn't really think about what am I going to do when our capacity, you know we're at full capacity, which we reached in about a year and a half in that facility. Um, <clears throat> and so there were huge problems uh, when we moved when we identified a new plant, built it out, which of course takes time, and moved in and we made a lot of distributors and stores unhappy because we couldn't fill orders. For about a year, we were only filling about half of the orders, or less sometimes. And it got so bad that at one point, one of our lead distributors almost cut us off entirely. Uh, the biggest distributor in the United States, in the natural uh, in- channel, almost cut us off because we were so poor at filling orders. So I would say that if I could do this all over again, I would probably spend six months to a year really planning it out better, really understanding how much the market could. Support us, which I obviously didn't understand, and maybe doing a bigger round to just build to start off with a bigger facility. On the other hand, I don't know if I would have gotten the uh, the confidence of investors had I gone out from the beginning and said, "Hey, I need to raise ten million dollars to do this."
0: And and where are you today? Uh, what type of traction have you gained? You know, kind of what's the size of the company, and what do you believe has been the most important element of that growth?
1: Sure. Um, we are currently in about 12,000 stores across the country. Uh, mainstream uh, mass market retailers like Target and Kroger and Publix. We're also in the natural channel, uh, pretty much in all natural food stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts and all of your independent stores. We're in specialty stores. So we've gotten very, very good traction. Our growth has been in the triple digits year over year. Nineteen uh, In two thousand. Eighteen, we grew 170 uh, percent this year. We're about 112 percent over budget, um, so we're growing very, very rapidly, um, <clears throat> and we don't see that slowing down. Um, I can't really tell you this the 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 revenue, the gross revenues at this point because we are privately held. Um, but you know, we're on very, very good track to um, you know reach um, 100 million. It not too distant future, um, so it's it's been good, very very good growth. Um, and if we had had any further delays in moving to our new production facility, I think the business could have just failed. Um, so we were very lucky that we got in here, uh, as you know, in at the end of two thousand seventeen. One question I always love to ask
0: is What has been one of the best moments on your journey so far?
1: Uh, I think one of the best uh, moments of this journey uh, has definitely been my own personal growth as a leader. Um, I don't think I've never grown a company to this size before. I've been a serial entrepreneur since the 1980s, and all my you know, I would say we're smaller businesses that didn't have the potential to get to this point, uh, you know, where we have 112 employees right now and we're in all these stores and we have a huge potential for growing um, into a, a good-sized company. Um, and I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know how to be a leader, how to be a CEO, how to manage people, how to lead people, how to inspire people. I don't think I was a very good leader at all. And the, uh, the waking, the wake the moment of awakening came really when we've got to about 30, 40 employees or so. And all of a sudden I looked around and I thought, Oh my God, I don't even know whose company this is anymore. I don't even know what direction it's going in. Obviously I'm not leading it anymore. Um, The company, the people that were around me weren't the type of people I would have hired. Um, They didn't have the same, the culture was falling apart and uh, I was finding that I was becoming very angry. I didn't know how to control myself. It was just a really, really ugly time for me. And I, f- I had to self-reflect and realize that it was me. I was the one who didn't know how to lead. I didn't know how to inspire. Um, and I had to, I realized that everyone around me, they were all ref- reflections of me. If I was um, you know, causing people anguish and and anxiety, it was because I was, anxious and uh, in a bad state. Um, so I had to change myself I had to really really work on that. I got myself a CEO coach. Um, it was the same thing with my relationship with a board. Um, I really was afraid that they were going to try to oust me because of my last my lack of experience and I finally realized that they completely believed in me and just wanted me to, get the support that I needed, that um, they were there to be a sounding board and to give me guidance. And they are the best board members. I I am so grateful every day for the the board that I have that has given me so much support and so much guidance. And I just, I feel today that we have a stronger company as a result of all the help that I've gotten um, and my own just internal uh, examination, um, working on myself, learning to become very, very intentional in, in all of my, you know, what I say to people in running meetings, whatever, really kind of removing myself from myself, looking down at myself and saying, so how should you handle this as a CEO? Um, so that's been the greatest, Thing that I've been able to take away is that I, I feel that I've grown. I feel better about myself than I did a few years ago. Um, there came a point when I was so had such a blow up with one employee that I almost quit this company. I almost walked away from it. I just was going to say, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not meant to run this company. I'm going to let somebody else do it. And I almost left. And that was really kind of the moment when I had to shift gears and just start looking at who was really causing those problems. And that was me.
0: I, and there's a leadership coach, Rand Stegen, and he says that leaders get the organization that they deserve.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I always think about that when I feel frustrated. Yeah. Well, now, you know, we have a great, I really do feel we have a great culture now. I mean, I just see happy faces and it isn't, you know, all me. There's so many people here that help pull this culture together. Our HR manager, our marketing director, so many people have worked really, really hard to help create the wonderful culture that we have. and And it's, This is a a place where people take pride in coming to work today.
0: So uh, conversely, what has been one of the most challenging situations that you've dealt with and how did you get through it?
1: Well, I think operations has always been the most challenging thing. So there's a good reason companies such as Beyond Meat and Impossible were in stealth mode for many years before they launched any products. They may have done a lot of marketing and and created a lot of hype, but they didn't actually have products out on the shelves Because they had to figure out how they were gonna commercialize it. They had to figure out how do you take it from the small scale to a large scale. Um, And so there's a very, very good reason for that. Because I jumped in with both feet, as I mentioned, and just started making product and then had to figure out how to commercialize it. The operational challenges have been absolutely overwhelming because why? No one knew how to do this. No one had ever done it before. No one had ever taken. Uh, made milk out of cashews and then made cheese out of it. That had not been done before. And so, uh, it was just a, a huge struggle to take it from my personal kitchen to the 40-pound batches we were making in our first prototype facility to you know continuous processing, which is what we try to do here. Um, that was a huge challenge and, and it continues to be somewhat of a challenge today, although we figured out most of it. Um, well enough that we are now talking to co-packers about having them make the product for us or making some of it for us.
0: And what does your daily routine look like? And is there anything that you do that actually serves your personal sustainability?
1: Ah, yes. Well, so I also have at my home, I live out in the country and we have 17 acres and seven of those acres is allocate, is devoted to a farmed animal sanctuary. It's a 50, 501c nonprofit farmed animal sanctuary where we rescue goats and pigs and sheep and cows and donkeys and ducks and geese and chickens and turkeys. Uh, in fact, we rescued two two-month-old baby goats that were found along a railroad track just this past weekend. And we have uh, farm tours, um, visitation days, we have uh, school field trips there, humane education where we talk about where food should not come from. And uh, that is how I start my day. I get to go down there at 7 a.m. where I get to meet these wonderful creatures, um, get to know their personalities, I have relationships with them, I get to kiss my goats and hug my cows and caress my goose, uh, Echo, who follows me around wherever I go and wants to be picked up. Um, and uh, she was rescued. He actually, it's a he. He was rescued running around Hollywood Boulevard and uh, Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Um, but uh, and then I get to shovel manure, uh, feed the animals. And, and that is what gives me sanity and peace of mind. It, it, I can't imagine anything better. It is both my editorial director and I's dream to open a farm sanctuary. So, oh really? Yes, we, we've talked about it for ages. Sometimes I don't want to go to work, but then when I get here, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Oh, so great. Um, so, can it, based on kind of this incredible trajectory you've been on for the last four or five years, are there many like two to three top pieces of advice that you would give to other business leaders?
1: Yes. I mean, if we're talking about business leaders who are entrepreneurs rather than, you know, uh, somebody with an MBA who's a trained CEO, I would say uh, once trust your board and and take some leadership classes. I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs struggle, um, just as I did. Maybe some less, maybe some more. But I think that's one of the, the, the key things is to learn to trust people that are really trying to help you. And really take an internal look at yourself. And the other thing is something that everyone says, find the best people, build the best teams and trust in those people. Give them those responsibilities and trust that they understand what you want them to do. And then number three is just build the best damn culture you can. And I got my cuss word in there.
0: (laughs) love it. Finally, what is giving you hope for the future?
1: What's giving me hope for the future, and I am an eternal optimist, is that I do see huge shifts in consciousness. Um, Human beings are actually at the least violent time in human history. And I see all around me the number of people who care increasing in numbers. I see the number of vegans that are rising, compassionate vegans that really do care about the future of the planet and the future of the lives of all of the other animals on this planet, including including the possible 1 million, new, one million species that could be extinct in the next few years because of human activity. We have to start caring about these things. We have to think beyond ourselves and think about the greater good. And when you think about the greater good, you can have the greater good life or you can really have the good life. And I see people caring more and more, and that gives me so much hope. A huge thanks this week goes out to Miyoko Shinner and the whole team
0: over at Miyoko's Creamery, as well as our incredible production team at StoryPop Media and the whole Conscious Company Media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show and be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening.
1: StoryPop Media Production.